eternal, righteous, and invisible Father in heaven, glory, praise, honor, and adoration be unto your holy name for your goodness and mercy and love which you have graciously bestowed upon us. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, for giving to us the basic necessities that sustain our lives and especially for sustaining us through the holy word that comes from you. Once more, Lord, we come to you today for our spiritual bread. Without it, we cannot be sustained for today. Therefore, we pray, Lord, send down the manna from above. Send forth your word, O Lord, that your word may give us power, that through your word we may be consecrated to your service today. Father in heaven, grant to us graciously of your spirit, that by your spirit we may clearly and rightly divide the word of truth and put what we learn into practice. Put your words in my mouth, dear Lord, that words may be spoken to edify, to bless, to uplift every one of us. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage April 18 Two of a Kind Be on your guard against covetousness in any shape or form. For a man's real life in no way depends upon the number of his possessions. Luke chapter 12 verse 15 The curse which Balaam had not been permitted to pronounce against God's people, he finally succeeded in bringing upon them by seducing them into sin. Balaam witnessed the success of his diabolical scheme. He saw the curse of God visited upon his people and thousands falling under his judgments. But the divine justice that punished sin in Israel did not permit the tempters to escape. In the war of Israel against the Midianites, Balaam was slain. The fate of Balaam was similar to that of Judas, and their characters bear a marked resemblance to each other. Both these men tried to unite the service of God and Mammon and met and met with signal failure. Balaam acknowledged the true God and professed to serve him. Judas believed in Jesus as the Messiah and united with his followers. But Balaam hoped to make the service of Jehovah the stepping stone to the acquirement of riches and worldly honor. And failing in this, he stumbled and fell and was broken. Judas expected by his connection with Christ to secure wealth and promotion in that worldly kingdom which, as he believed, the Messiah was about to set up. The failure of his hopes drove him to apostasy and ruin. Both Balaam and Judas had received great light and enjoyed special privileges, but a single cherished sin poisoned the entire character and caused their destruction. One cherished sin will little by little debase the character, bringing all its nobler powers into subjection to the evil desire. The removal of one safeguard from the conscience, the indulgence of one evil habit, 
one neglect of the high claims of duty breaks down the defenses of the soul and opens the way for Satan to come in and lead us astray. The only safe course is to let our prayers go forth daily from a sincere heart as did David. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. Psalm chapter 17 verse 5. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Two of a Kind. And the two being referred to here is Balaam and Judas. And indeed, they are two of one kind. And they are not just two of a kind today. In fact, they are not just two. There are millions and billions of a kind now because there are so many Judases and Balaams when we look at it from the perspective of thinking that gain is godliness. Before we go on to talk of these two of a kind, we first have to look at how Balaam schemed and found his way to bring about some kind of destruction for the children of Israel. And that's a very, very important lesson. The first paragraph of our devotion in Conflict and Courage, page 114, paragraph 2, tells us that the curse which Balaam had not been permitted to pronounce against God's people, he finally succeeded in bringing upon them by seducing them into sin. End of quote. So we have to understand about something about this curse. We stopped at Balaam's covetousness driving him to go and meet the king of Moab, Balak. Now, what happened? Following that is what will lead us to the comparison of Judas and Balaam. So before we get to that, let's understand this whole concept of blessings and curses. Today, many people have the concept in their mind that their fellow man has the ability to say things with their mouth and those things they say, whether it is a blessing or a curse, it will surely come to pass. Let us use the Bible to examine that belief and we'll be using not just the story of Balaam and Balak, but we'll be using the statements made by God himself to form a principle and a perception for ourselves. You see, this study is a very slippery one. And based on your belief in this matter, it determines a lot of people's eternal destiny and it will determine yours. Because what you believe determines your character. What you believe determines your practice. And if you believe the wrong thing, your practice will be wrong and your destination will be wrong. Because it is your practice that God is going to use to judge us. We are told that we are going to be judged by our works. It's not by what you believe in your head. It is by what you do. The Lord is going to bring every act into judgment and everything we say and every secret thing. So, it is very important that we have the right concept and belief of this matter of divination, enchantments and uh, what people call black magic and all sorcery and soothsaying, witchcraft, all of that. It's very important that we have the right belief. Like I said, some people believe that their fellow man has the ability to say things or to do things that once those things are done or said, it will surely come to pass and most times they are bad things. Others believe that men have some union with demons or devils and through that union, whatever they say or do, 
There's nothing you can do about it. The devils will help them to do something. Whatever it is they say, it will surely come to pass. So like I said, let's examine such beliefs and come to the right conclusion on these things in the word of God. So Balak, having secured the services of Balaam, took him to a, first of all, took him to uh, a place where Balaam told him to just get an altar for sacrifices and got some animals for that purpose, told Balaam to wait and then he went, told Balak to wait and then he went on a high mountain and said, let me, let me receive the message from God. In the messages that Balaam received from God, we have to form opinions and beliefs for ourselves. All his curses turned to blessings, that's what we'll see later. But the first time Balaam received the message, let's hear what that message was. Numbers 23 verse 7 and 8 And he took up his parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, hath brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come curse me, Jacob, and come, defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defiled? Let us pick that statement. How can I, is what Balaam is saying, curse someone whom God has not cursed? Now, take that statement and apply that to all the witches and wizards that we have around us. How can they curse someone who God has not cursed? Have that in mind. The second time, Balaam got a message from God and here was what was said. Another important one here. Numbers 23, reading from verse 17. And when he came to him, behold, he stood by his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said unto him, What had the Lord spoken? And he that's Balaam, took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear, hearken unto me, thou son of Zippo. So hear now. Verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. But had, had he said, and shall he not do it? Or had he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Verse 23 now. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What hath God wrought? Amen. I will just take just these two. There was a third time when Balaam went, but just these two. The second one now, what are we learning? He said, I have received commandments to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Question now Can any witch or wizard or enchanter or sorcerer or soothsayer or diviner reverse what God has done? If God has blessed someone, it is impossible then from what Balaam is saying. It's not because these are not Balaam's words. These are actually God's words, the word that God put in Balaam's mouth. Whoever God has blessed cannot be cursed. That's what he's saying. And there is a reason why in verse 21. The reason is saying, He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Verse 23. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel and the reason was given that God has not seen any iniquity in Jacob neither has he seen perverseness in Israel this points to us the passage in Proverbs 14 verse 34 that tells us righteousness exalted a nation but sin is a reproach unto a people what do we learn from these words given to Balaam God overrules everything on this earth no witch no wizard no sorcerer soothsayer or diviner or enchanter 
is above God. They cannot do anything except God permits it. He is the one that has the final say. No one can curse someone who God has not cursed and defy who God has not defied. If the curse of Balaam works on Israel, it will only be because God permitted it or God himself is the one responsible for it. Does God arbitrarily curse anyone? No. Proverbs 26 verse 2 tells us, As the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse, causeless, shall not come. In other words, for a curse to come, there must be something that caused it. So what is the cause for the curses and the blessings? God does not leave us in the dark in this matter for us to be going here and saying, oh, this is where the curse came from, this is where the curse came from. Nobody asks where their blessings come from, but they always want to know where the curse comes from. But they always attribute the curses to the devil or to one friend or one relative or someone in the earth and thinking it's just one man who is doing it. But the blessings, oh, every blessing comes from God. Is that biblical? You have to have faith and believe the word of God. What is the cause? for the curses for the curses and the cause for the blessings god tells us deuteronomy 28 i you can go and read deuteronomy 28 and leviticus 26 they will just give you exactly what you need to know concerning this matter but i'll just take a few passages here to make us understand what goes on deuteronomy 28 reading for verse 1 says and it shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the lord thy god to observe and do and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. And then the blessings come now. Blessed shall thou be in the city, and blessed shall thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall thou be in the basket and the store. In verse 12 and 13, it says, The Lord shall open thee unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. And on and on and on. Blessings upon blessings upon blessings. But what was the cause? It says, If, if, if thou will hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God diligently to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day. That is the condition. That is the cause of the blessing. How about the cause for the curses? Verse 15 of Deuteronomy 28 says, But it shall come to pass, if thou will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all the curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee, Cursed shall thou be in the city, and cursed shall thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy land, and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep, and on and on and on. Many curses. But what is the cause of the curse? The cause of the curse is disobedience to God's commandments. It's as simple as that. Do you understand, do you believe, or you you want to create a God in your own mind that does not curse people? My brothers and sisters, fall in line with the word of God. Jesus, God himself, has placed a curse on anyone who would go against his commandments. The commandment itself is a blessing, and that is why the Lord gave it to us. But there is a curse that comes to us when we disobey the commandments of God. It is just like that. 
That is how it works. When we expose ourselves to sin, we make ourselves vulnerable to the curses. God has already said it, that there is a curse which is automatic on men. We do not have to look elsewhere for who placed the curse on, our, on us. There is a curse placed by God himself on us when we disobey his commandments. It is a form of pride in us. When we keep looking here and there for who caused this to us and that to us, we should rather humble ourselves and search our own lives to see where we have gone wrong and diligently obey God, praying for his grace and not to go like a saint asking, did somebody do this to me? As if we cannot do it to ourselves. The word of God is telling us here clearly, we can curse ourselves. Don't look out there for who cursed you. We can curse ourselves when we are disobedient to God's word. The case of Job gives a clear insight of what happens behind the scenes. In a case where it is not disobedience to God's word, nevertheless, even if it is not by disobedience that we pass through our troubles in this life or get the sicknesses and bad events that happen to us, evil things that happen, even if it is not because of disobedience to God's commandments, nevertheless, it is not something that is arbitrarily caused by the devil where God cannot do anything about it and one evil person somewhere, like, like Balaam, will just say anything regardless of what God can do. God is just watching and the moment Balaam says anything, then it can happen. And all the Balaams and the witches and wizards of today, do you really believe that they are so powerful that they can just say anything and you, who are a child of God, who you claim is the almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, and you are serving him. And one person somewhere, just a mere man, mere dust, can say something about something to you or do something to you. And really that thing will work. Where is your God? It is a very big shame and embarrassment to us when we claim that some man somewhere can do things to us when our God is there. That is not the way to explain it. There are other ways these things work and we need to understand it. When we look at the case of Job, in Job chapter 1, reading from verse 7, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? You know the story. And then Satan requested, God pointed Satan to uh, Job. Have you seen my servant Job? He is a righteous man. And Satan sought for permission. Reading verse 10, it says, Has thou, has not thou made an hedge about him? and about his house and about all that he hath on every side thou hast blessed the works of his hands and his substance is increased in the land but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face and the lord said unto satan behold all that he hath is in thy power only upon himself put not forth thine hand so satan went forth from the presence of the lord and there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house and there came a messenger unto Job, and said, The oxen were ploughing, and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them, and took, away, took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven, and had burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another, and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away yea and slain the servants with the edge of the sword and i only am escaped to tell thee while he was yet speaking there came also another and said thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house eldest brother's house and behold there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead 
and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Hmm. Let us analyze what happened here. Who was the person that did this? Did he need any human agent? It was Satan. Satan needed a human agent in the case of the Sabians and the Chaldeans. But then when fire came down from heaven, he didn't need help. When the wind came and blew that house and fell upon Job's children, he, need no, he needed no human help. The devil himself, when he wants to attack humans, doesn't need any human help. All he needs is permission from God. And he couldn't even touch Job's body unless he got the permission. Later on, Job chapter 2 reading from verse 3 downward, they, he went again, he was dis- in discussion with God and then Satan answered the Lord when God pointed him to Job saying, you see, he didn't, he didn't curse me. And Satan said, skin for skin, yeah, all that a man had will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto the crown of unto his crown, and he took him a potshed to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. What we learn from Job's incident is this I just summarized in this statement I'm about to read from Ministry of Healing, page four eighty eight, paragraph four. It says concerning Jesus, the Father's presence encircled Christ, and nothing befell him but that which infinite love permitted for the blessing of the world. Here was his source of comfort, and it is for us. He who is imbued with the Spirit of Christ abides in Christ. Whatever comes to him comes from the Savior who surrounds him with his presence. Nothing can touch him except by the Lord's permission. All our sufferings and sorrows, all our temptations and trials, all our sadness and griefs, all our persecutions and privations, in short, all things work together for our good. All experiences and circumstances are God's workmen, whereby good is brought to us." So what we learn from Deuteronomy 28 and the story of Job is this. The evil things that happen to us, one, it is self-inflicted when we disobey God. Or, secondly, God may just permit it, not necessarily because we've disobeyed him. So we are not to be looking to men and saying, oh, this person cursed me or that. God overrules everything. It either happens by his permission or nobody cursed you, but we cursed ourselves by our own sins. And don't think the Lord is joking when he says that sin brings a curse upon us. You see, the sicknesses we pass through, many evil things that happen to us in this world, majority of them are self-inflicted. It is not necessarily the devil that is going around causing evil for people. Yes, he does that. But But remember, it is by God's permission. The devil wouldn't do anything except God permits it. And when we go back to the story of the children of Israel in relation to Balaam, we now see what Balaam knew. The Lord put words in Balaam's mouth that he got to understand. Maybe he did understand it before. Yeah, he did understand it before. But God reiterated it with him. Balaam understood clearly the means by which he could bring about the destruction of Israel. And it was not by just opening mouths to curse them. No, he worked in that line. He understood that he couldn't curse whom God had not cursed. From the message given him of God, he heard, he learned that the reason God ca- cannot permit a curse upon Israel was that he found no iniquity in them. Numbers 23 verse 21. He had not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither had he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of the kings among him. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. And the other one he learned from uh, Numbers 
from the same the first message he got was how can i curse who god has not cursed he knew now that it's only who god has cursed that can be cursed and how do, how has god cursed anyone deuteronomy 28 god has cursed those who sin against him so he learned how that how god can allow a curse to walk on the children of israel he now knew that his divination would not work as long as israel was living in righteousness because righteousness preserves a nation and israel was being preserved because they were not in iniquity finally balaam schemed a way by which he could destroy the children of israel the children of israel were invited to a party and in that party which we'll look at subsequently in our devotion perhaps tomorrow in that party they went for there was a worship of other gods Numbers 25, reading from verse 1, says, And Israel abode in, abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And what happened next? There was a plague, and people began to die in Israel. So, what Balaam could not do by cursing the people, he finally succeeded in bringing upon them by seducing them into sin. But that place we read now didn't say that Balaam was the one that seduced them to sin. But when we read Numbers 31 verse 8, subsequently after the curse, the plague was stayed, the children of Israel went to fight some wars against the Midianites and when they destroyed them, the Bible records in Numbers 31 verse 8, and they slew the kings of Midian beside the rest of them that were slain, namely Evi and Rechem and Zor and Hur and Reba, five kings of Midian. Then the next statement says, Balaam also the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. Why? When we read down to verse 15, it says, And Moses said unto them, Have you saved all the women alive? Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Balaam was the one responsible. He gave, he, he schemed it now, understanding that he cannot curse who God has not cursed. Then he made the women, the Midianitish women, to come into the camp of the Israelites and seduce them. And then started to sleep with the men in, in, of Israel and invited them to a party where they worshipped other gods. And then, now, iniquity was seen in Israel before the Lord said I have not beheld any iniquity in Israel and neither have I seen any perverseness in them and then the Lord said no enchantment shall work against Jacob now Balaam did not need to pronounce any curse on Israel where did the plague come from it came from God himself Balaam didn't need to place any curse all he needed to do was to lead them into sin knowing very well that if they are living a life of sin the curse of God not of Balaam now but the curse of God will be upon them sin itself brings its curse he doesn't need any man to pronounce any curse on anybody anybody who is sinning God himself is the one that pronounced the curse not any human being not any human being, God himself has said it in Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26, that when we don't keep his commandments, we are incurring, inviting curses upon ourselves. But Balaam finally came to his end, as we read in Numbers 31 verse 8. Balaam, also the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. This brought an end to a life that could have been 
a very illustrious one. Why didn't Balaam join the Israelites? He was a prophet of God. He could have joined them. But covetousness is what destroyed him. And that's what brings us to the topic two of a kind. The similarities between Balaam and Judas. You see, Balaam and Judas represent those today who subscribe to the prosperity gospel. They are those who view the gospel of Christ as a means to wealth and affluence and to get all the world's goods and material things. These are they who come to Christ today and believe in him for the purpose of worldly prosperity. They are not interested in spiritual growth. They don't want to hear commandments. All they want to hear is you shall be blessed, you shall be blessed, you shall be blessed. You will be the first and not the last. You will be the best in your place. Your money will increase. That's the prosperity gospel. But they will soon find that one cannot serve God and mammon. Either you love the one and hate the other, or you hate the one and love the other. Both Balaam and Judah soon found that they could not do both. And when they tried their best to do both, it led to their utter destruction. And so will it be for this present generation. We have millions of Balaams and there are billions there I say. There are billions, the Judases and Balaams of today who are coming to Jesus for worldly prosperity. They are coming to Jesus because they see him as a means by which they can come out of poverty. They see Jesus as the Messiah, not from their sins, but the Messiah from suffering and being in what they call poverty anyway, which many times is not actually poverty. They just have an eye for worldliness, for the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That is what their eyes are looking at, but Jesus did not come to give anybody that. And if Judas had stayed long with Jesus, and when he saw that he couldn't get what he wanted from Jesus, he cashed in. But in cashing in, uh, he died. His, the failure of his hopes drove him to apostasy and ruin. That's what we read. And so will it be with many today who are hoping to turn the gospel into a means of merchandise. 1 Timothy 6 verse 3 to 5 tells us, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to, doc- to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, wherefore commit envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself, O child of God. Will you withdraw yourself from those that suppose that gain is godliness? In other words, that suppose that the way to judge whether somebody is godly is by checking their wealth? There are those who teach that gain is godliness. They say, I cannot be poor as far as I'm a child of God. And they preach it so vehemently and make others feel like if you are poor, that means God is not with you. If you are poor, that means you are, you are, you are, you are not a child of God. And they make people feel intimidated. Are you one of those who are feeling intimidated? Don't feel intimidated. You are in good company. Our Lord Jesus himself was not like these affluent pastors we see around us today who suppose that gain is godliness, who are making merchandise of their flock who have turned the gospel of Christ into a means of covetousness. Don't follow them. That's what we are told. From such withdraw thyself. There are some who have come to believe that the evidence of godliness is not a life that is pure and holy, but they now believe that it is a life that is rich and affluent. They have only to read their Bibles to understand that they are very, very, very mistaken because that's not what the Bible 
teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that the standard or, or the evidence or index to judge who is a child of God is by checking their pockets and their bank accounts. But it is the same covetousness. You know, we read yesterday that the prophets prophesy lies. The priests bear rule by their means. But here is the main problem. The people love to have it so. That's the baffling part of it all. That the people love to have it so. Why will the people love to have it so? Because they are just as covetous as the pastors. They are just as uh, they have the same mindset as the pastors. You need to come out of that mindset. The Bible tells us what we should look after. First Timothy 6, reading from verse 6. But godliness with contentment, not with riches. With contentment is great gain. What is contentment? Contentment means to be happy in whatever state you find yourself. Contentment means that I am not judging myself by how much I have. Like the Bible text for today says... Jesus speaking said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things he possesseth. That is, a man's real life, like he says, in no way depends on the number of his possessions. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Are you still judging your own life by how many things you own? By the number of suits you have, and the number of gowns you own, and the number of shoes, and the kind of watch, and the designer of it? And the designer of your perfume or the designer of your uh, of your cap and your hat and your uh, and just the house you are living or the, the, the make of your phone you are going to pierce yourself through with many sorrows verse 7 first timothy 6 verse 7 for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out and having food and raiment let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Judas pierced himself through with many sorrows, and so did Balaam. They were two of a kind, but not just two of a kind. Like I said, we have billions of a kind today who are the Judases and the Balaams of today flocking into the prosperity gospel. They also are thinking that gain is godliness. The love of money is piercing them with many sorrows and many foolish and hurtful lust, and they are erring from the faith because of the love of money. They are putting their hands into things they shouldn't put it into. Judas cashed in on Jesus, betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver for the love of money. Balaam wanted to curse the children of Israel and led them into sin intentionally just because of the love of money. What are you doing for the love of money? The Lord is calling you out today. Come out. Jeremiah 9 verse 23. Come out. That's what he's saying. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord that exerciseth loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. Will you change your identity, the way you judge yourself? Stop judging yourself by the amount of things you possess. You are going down Judah's road. You are going down the road of Balaam. You are one of a kind with them. Rather, be content with as much as you have. 
Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I find myself therewith to be content. Paul also said, I know how to abase and I know how to abound. It is not by how much I have, I'm happy nevertheless. And we should learn to be content because there is something greater than worldly riches, the riches of a pure life and that is void of offense towards God. You can't buy that with money. You can't buy godliness and righteousness and holiness with money. And you can't buy the peace that comes from knowing that your life is in harmony with, with the will of God. You can't buy that with money. No money can buy it, that peace, that passes all understanding. The rich don't have it. Money cannot buy it. Why don't you follow like we read in 1 Timothy 6 verse 11. But thou, man of God, follow after righteousness, peace, godliness, faith. That's what we are told to follow. Follow after those things. Fight the good fight of faith, we are told. Lay hold on eternal life, whereto whereunto thou art called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Follow after righteousness, faith, love, godliness, patience, and meekness. Now, as we go through the story of Balaam, it is warning us that we should not go down that road of Balaam. In the book of Revelation, reading chapter 2, we are told of those who in our days who are like Balaam. We should be careful not to be like that, who will make other people to go into sin. But for us today, suffice to say that the Lord is calling us out of that Balaam and Judas life and at the same time to change your mind and have the right mindset on this issue of curses and blessings. Let us not think that oh it is people who is doing this to us. That will be some kind of pride. That means you are trying to say that my life is pure, my life is holy, I'm not the one who inflicted it on myself. Let us examine ourselves and follow the commandments of God diligently. And remember, nothing can happen to you except by God's permission. Therefore, you have no battle to fight with praying against Satan and all of that. Job's own, you don't hear him talking about Satan. He deals with God knowing very well that if anything happens to him, yes, it was Satan who did it. But he knows that there is a higher power than Satan that permitted it. And that's who he was dealing with. That's who he was talking to. Talk to God. Deal with God. He's the one that permitted it. Leave Satan and stop fighting and praying this about Satan and that about Satan. Talk to God instead. Now, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 tells us, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. I just pray that we are admonished and that we will take the necessary corrections and the lessons we need to learn from here. Let us pray. Loving Father in heaven, I pray Lord that you will help us in these lessons that we have learned, that we will have the right perception concerning the issues of blessings and curses. And you will help us Lord to incur the blessings on ourselves by diligently following your commandments. Forgive us for bringing a curse upon ourselves in the true disobedience. Lord, may you not find any perverseness in us that we may be in that state where there will be no enchantment or divination against us. Bless us, O Lord, because whom you have blessed no one can curse. I also pray, Lord, that you will help us not to be like Balaam going in the way of covetousness. This prosperity gospel that is ruining many, Lord, help your children and help us, Lord, to be content with godliness and be content with food and raiment. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.